Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I want you to note the response from Moses. I think it's a great response. What are we to do when people come against us? What do we do in a jam? What do we do in a very difficult place, in a difficult set of circumstances when things seem to be against us? What do we do? Do we? Moses could have lashed back out and said, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, he could have had a, several different responses. I want you to look at what he did do in verse four. It says, so when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. In a physical sense, you can't be in a more humble position than on your face. What we do in a jam says a lot about who we are and what we truly believe. We are biologically wired to fight, flight, or freeze when we are faced with a threat. But God gives us another option. Just like Moses, we can take our situation to God and fall on our face in front of Him. Pastor Bill tells us that that is the most humbling physical position we can be in. We have the choice. We can fight our way out, freeze and hope it goes away, or we can run away. Or we can humble ourselves before God. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Well, as we jump, we're going to jump right in. It's a, it's, it's a lot in this chapter, and I want to I wanna walk us through it all. One thing that we've seen pretty consistently as we're studying the Old Testament on Thursday nights, and we began in Genesis, we see that pretty routinely men fail God. God does all these great things for men. He loves them. He All the way from the very beginning of Adam and Eve, God loved them. He created them in his own image. He put them in paradise. He, he married them off. They were, in, they were in the most beautiful situation you could imagine to be in. God gave them one rule, and they broke it. They rebelled. And all the ramifications of sin and rebellion came in. Death, sweat, murder, all the things that resulted from there. And as we continue, as God set his affection on the people of Israel and said, these are my people. I've chosen them. I want to bless them. I want them to be my own special people to me. And among all the peoples of the earth, this group here is set apart for me. And God blesses them and he brings them out of bondage in Egypt and he feeds them supernaturally with manna from heaven and water out of rocks. And he, he's just there for them repeatedly. They rebel against him and they go their own way. Something that you're going to find, and we're going to look at it in this chapter, that many times when people are in rebellion against God, they'll end up rebelling against those that represent the Lord in their lives. So when you find that someone's in rebellion to God, it may be a parent that's trying to lead the household in a way that honors God. And you get a kid in rebellion to God. Who is a kid going to be fighting with in the earth realm? Mom and dad. They're going to be fighting with their parents. They're really the fight is with God, but it might show up in a fight with parents. In our relationships as adults, somebody that's messing up in their walk with the Lord may have a brother or sister love them enough to confront them and bring it to light and say, hey, this is what you're doing is wrong. And then the fight begins to be with that person, but the fight is really with the Lord. And so we're going to see in this chapter that the people of Israel are really at war with God still, but they take it out on God's representations, his leaders. Look at chapter 16. I'm going to read the first three verses. It says, Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Datham and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, 
representatives of the congregation, men of renown, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So this is not the first time that they've come against Moses and Aaron. And so for you guys that desire to be in leadership, that's something you should just know that you'll be targeted. If you're a leader, especially if you lead in spiritual things, you'll be targeted. You'll be the you'll be the target of attack at times. Moses and Aaron, as they're leading the people, they many times have been the target of attack, Moses especially. But in this case here, some of the leaders get together. Kohath, these are all men that are in kind of high ranking places. They all are have lineages that are some of them are in the priesthood. These are pretty important people. And it says 250 men, men of renown. These are important people in the leadership. They all come to Moses and Aaron. They said, man, you guys take too much upon yourselves. You know, every, they said everybody in this said, we're all holy. You guys ain't special. How come you guys, you know, are lording over us? How come you guys are telling us? Well, how come we got to be submitted to you guys? Now, God's going to answer all this for him. But I want you to just notice a couple things. One, I think this is true. That... I think that there may be a shred of truth in what they're saying to them, what they're saying to the two guys, because it's not the first time that we heard it. But there's a heart behind why they're coming. They're not coming to help Moses and Aaron. They're not coming and saying, hey, you guys, you guys are taking so much on by yourselves. Can we be of assistance? That's not the heart. They're looking and saying, I think we could do what y'all are doing. How come you guys get to be calling the shots? How come you guys get to be the ones? And I want you guys to all think about that question. How come Moses and Aaron are the guys? Anybody? Because God, right? God did it. You can remember when God called Moses? He was like, oh, oh. He didn't want to do it. They didn't call themselves. God called them. God appointed them to this position. So they didn't appoint themselves. God put them over the people. The charge is that they're taking too much upon themselves. And the leaders that are confronting them are saying, hey, we think we're holy too. We think we could do what you guys are doing. How come you guys are exalting yourselves? Once again, they didn't exalt themselves. God exalted them. But this is what the people are saying. So here's a lesson in this for us. If God has put you under somewhere, it could be at work, put you under those that are in authority over you at work. It could be in the church and spiritual things, those that are over you in spiritual authority and leadership. It could be in your home. The chain of leadership that God has laid out for the home, that Jesus will be the head, the husband under Christ, the wife submitted to her husband, and the children submitted to mom and dad. If in any place that you find yourself under, you're unhappy with the leadership above you. You're unpleased with the one over you. Because it could happen. All leaders aren't perfect. Moses and Aaron were not perfect. There's a place for coming to them and saying, hey, I want to say this to you about your leadership, or I'm going to ask you this. There's, there's a place for going to the Lord and saying, God, I'm trying to submit to these people that you put over me, but look what they're doing, you know? But what they're doing is very different. They're saying, we, we don't agree with what God did in putting you guys over us. And we're disagreeing with it, and we're actually going to rebel against it. And in doing so, they're tearing down Moses and Aaron and exalting themselves. They're saying, we're holy too. We can do the same thing. Think with me, who's the first one to ever do this? Who's the first one to ever say, I'm not happy to be where I'm at. I should be where you are. Who did that first? Satan, right? Satan was the anointed cherub that covered. He had, a, I mean, among the angels, he had a high rank. 
It says that he was the anointed cherub that covered. That means that he had authority over some other angels. That's why I believe a third fell with him. He was an authoritative angel. It says that in his very being were trembles and pipes and instruments. And so he had a kind of a, he had a pretty important place. He was part of the worship of God in heaven. And, and I mean, just in the purest way, leading people in the worship of God. But you know what he said? I want to be worshipped. Oh, I'm sick of worshiping him. What about me? Look at me. I want worship. And what happened? He fell like lightning. God said, there's, <laughs> there's no room for two of us, you know, um, and he was kicked out. But when you whenever that stirs up in your heart, you just want to take note that that started in Satan first. Don't let that grow in you. And so that's what's happening to the people here. I want you to note the response from Moses. I think it's a great response. What are we to do when people come against us? What do we do in a jam? What do we do in a very difficult place, in a difficult set of circumstances when things seem to be against us? What do we do? Do we? Moses could have lashed back out and said, you don't know what you're talking about? You know, he could have had a, several different responses. I want you to look at what he did do in verse four. It says, so when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. In a physical sense, you can't be in a more humble position than on your face. We know, we'll see later in the chapter that when he fell on his face, he didn't just fall down in anguish. He fell on his face before the Lord. He's seeking God. He's, they came at him real raw. And before he responded, he fell on his face. Great example, especially if you tend to be a hothead. If you're here and you have a hothead, if you find that, you know, as you look back in your past, that sometimes I, in anger, I say the wrong thing too fast and, you know, you, you can't get them words back. Um, this is a great model for us to follow. That, you know what, before I address you, I'm going to just humble myself before the Lord. Maybe God wants to speak to me about this. Before I say anything to you, he could have lashed out. He could have acted in defense, what a lot of people do. They get defensive and start defending themselves. He could have retreated and quit. He could have asked friends, I quit. Everybody's against me. I can't do this. Too much pressure. He didn't do any of those things. He fell on his face before the Lord. We're going to see three times in this chapter that... In difficulty, in difficult circumstances, different circumstances, but difficult at each time. We're going to see that Moses does it here. Later on, it's Moses and Aaron. They just fall on their faces before the Lord. So maybe you're struggling through some things. Maybe you're going through some difficult things. Maybe there's some people that are against you, that are making life hard on you. And maybe you're defending yourself to them. Maybe you're fighting back with them. Maybe you're finding that you want to retreat and quit. I would suggest that none of those are the right response, but that you would fall on your face before the Lord. Say, God, speak to me. What do I do in this circumstance? All right, look at verses five through seven now. It says, and he spoke to Korah and all his company saying, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all your company, Put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. And then he says this. He says what they said to him back to them. He says, you take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. This is what's happening here. Moses said, you know what? We're going to let the Lord decide. Now, he didn't just come up with that. Where did that word from the Lord come from? He was on his face before the Lord. As he was on his face before the Lord, he got a word from the Lord. As he's responding back to the people, God has given him some insight as unto what he's going to do. So he gets up and he says, you know what, guys? God's going to sort this out, not me. Tomorrow, let's all, you guys are holy too. You guys can offer sacrifice. Okay, 
No problem. Everybody bring your centers tomorrow. The Lord will let us know who he's chosen. They should be shaking in their boots at this point. There is a history with the Lord. They know that he don't play games. They know from the past that he hasn't appreciated them coming against his leadership. But Moses says, hey, everybody come out tomorrow. Grab a censer. Um, that's something that the priest would have and offer incense before the Lord. You guys want to partake? Everybody come on out. We're going to let the Lord decide who it is. But I want you to notice that Moses says to them, you guys have actually taken too much upon yourselves. And he's going to explain a little bit later that they have an important job to do. But for some reason, they're discontented to do their job and they want to do what Moses and Aaron did. They're not happy to just do what God had given them to do. So look at verses 8 through 11. It says, then Moses said to Korah, hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them? And that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi with you. And are you seeking the priesthood also? And so Moses asked him, he says, guys, is it a small thing what God called you to do? God set you guys apart. You guys are a special part of the program, the plan of God. And do you count it a small thing? Do you not appreciate that? Are you not thankful for that? He says, now you also want the priesthood? You, You want to do this job too? And so something that I would challenge all of us here. Are you content with what God has done with you? Do you find yourself longing for something that someone else has? Longing to be like someone else? Longing to acquire, to have? You know, kids do this. You know, you can have a kid and he may be into some particular sport and he may dream to be like this guy. And, you know, it, I, there's a point where you can enjoy a sports figure, but, you know, it's sad if you see a kid and you know, the kid's small. You look at his mom and dad, they're small, and what he wants to be is something that he got to be big to be. It's like, bro, it would be better to figure out what you're going to be, you know, figure out what your gifts are, what your callings are, to not just dream and lust after what God is doing in someone else. What's he doing for you? God's got a plan for each one of us, and we can admire what God is doing. There are certain people that there's certain gifts and things that people do that I admire. I look at it, I think that is too I love that. I love musicians. The other night I was listening to my buddy Brendan McPhee and he was just laying down some funk on the electric. I, I wish I could do that. I would just, I just sounds good to me. I, I kept listening to it over and over and over and it was just like, if I could get an electric guitar and make it make that noise, I would probably wear my wife out. Just, hey, listen to this. And I would just do it. I can't do that. So I appreciate, I don't lust after his gift. I appreciate him that he has it. I drop by the CD when it comes out, you know. Within the body of Christ, we all have gifts. We all have gifts. We all have something that we contribute, that we offer. And we have to be careful that rather than pursuing what I don't have and what I'm not called to be, what I really want to do is, I want to, God, I want to be the best I can at what you did give me. You put something in my hand. I want to be able to offer it back to you with bonus, with more. And so here Moses says, man, do you guys, is it a small thing to you what God has done? That's a question for all of us. The thing that God has given you to do, is it a small thing in your eyes? The Bible says that we're not to despise the days of small things. Many times people that God is calling later to greater things, they began doing smaller things. And as they were faithful with the little, God gave them more. That's the process that God does. That's God's process. Those that are faithful with little, he gives more. So God looks for us to be faithful at every juncture in life. Faithful with the little. And as you're faithful with the little, you find that God adds to it. 
and there'll be more that comes and more that he reveals and more that he does. But God doesn't want us despising the little and not doing anything with it and looking at something else. I want to do that. I want to be that guy. I want to do that instead. We want to be faithful with the little and let the Lord exalt us in his timing. And so the people here are discontented. They're not being thankful for what the Lord has done. And again, they're doing just what Satan did. Satan was in heaven. I marvel when I read the story, when you read the fall of Satan, just how close he was to God and to the glory of God to fall from that place, to fall from that place. of I mean, seeing God in all of his glory, being in the heavenly realm, being one of the, these created beings, angels are awesome, created beings, being one of them and to fall because it's not enough. What God's done is not enough. Wherever you may be in your life, if you feel like what God has done is not enough, what he's doing is not enough, what you have is not enough, you want to be cautious about that way of thinking. We want to learn contentment. We live in a greedy society. How many billions of dollars did somebody win? You know, I mean, you know, everybody was everybody was going after a piece of that. It's over now. (laughs) You know, people were dreaming up what they were going to do, how they were going to quit their jobs and give it to their boss and all this kind of stuff. And now they got to go back to work. You know, we want to be people that learn to be content at every phase, right where the Lord has us. Because right now, God, you have me here and I want to be content here and I want to be faithful here and I want to enjoy you in this season because it's a season. And many of us, our lives are seasonal and we're going through periods of life, so forth and so on. This group here had access to the Lord like in a really significant way. They had the opportunity to serve God in a really awesome way. It's going to end poorly. Many of them are going to die for this rebellion right here because they wanted what Moses had. They wanted more. They weren't content to be what God had given them. Look at verses 12 through 14. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey? to kill us in the wilderness that you should keep acting like a prince over us. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us an inheritance of the fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So to this one group, Moses says, hey guys, I need you guys to come down. They said, we're not coming. We won't come up. You know, you can lie to yourself so long that it starts sounding like the truth. These guys have lied to themselves for a little while. When Moses went and got them, where were they at? They were slaves in Egypt, right? Listen to what this guy says. He says, it is a small thing that you brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey. So he's saying, we were already in our promised land in Egypt. Y'all were slaves. They were beating y'all. Y'all were making brick and mortar with not enough materials to do so all day long. And they were whipping y'all in the back. What you mean? But that's the mentality what happens when you lose sight of what God is doing. They have a false sense of reality. They weren't in the land flowing. If it did flow with milk and honey, they weren't getting none. He's saying, you took us out of a land flowing with milk and honey and brought us to the desert. So now they're blaming Moses for their current state. How come they're in the desert? Because when it was time to go get the promise and when it was time to go, they wouldn't go. Remember? Remember when it was time to go out, they had the opportunity to go and they wouldn't go. They wouldn't believe God. They listened to the bad report. They listened to the report of giants and land. They wouldn't go. And so they're saying, it's not our fault. It's your fault. This is what will happen. When we get our eyes off the Lord, when we're not seeing things the way God sees things, we lose perspective. 
we can start blaming other people for what we've done wrong, what we're doing wrong. That's what a lot of people do. There'll be people right now, they've been sinning their whole life. It was because of my childhood. Mm? Mm, You know, I want to be so compassionate. I know that people had rough childhoods. I know that people were abused. I know that bad things happen. But I also know that if you buy into that kind of philosophy for life, then you've got a blank check to fail the rest of your life, right? You can't live like that. I did for a period of my life. I had a mom that was an alcoholic. I had a dad that for a period of my adolescent life was on drugs. And so it was like, you know, that for me, you know, you're just, I'm at school and I had teachers that were sympathetic towards that. I wrote that check a few times. I did. In reality, I was choosing every day to do what I wanted to do. As I look back very honestly at my childhood, it wasn't that bad. I wasn't perfect, but I didn't have the worst kind of childhood. It could have been much worse. I did have parents who loved me. They had their challenges. But I wrote that check a few times and was giving myself a pass. You know, why I could go on and fail and do X, Y, and Z. At the end of the day, if I fail at life, I fail. And I can't blame someone else. I can't say, well, you know, my whole family struggled with this. And so now I struggle with this. The thing that we got to do about our sin is call it what it is and repent of it. Right. What they're doing here is saying nothing's their fault. They're saying, Moses, you guys came and got us. out. We were in the land of milk and honey. That's not true. They were slaves. You brought us out of there. Now you brought us to the desert. And this is what they're really upset about. Right. For you guys that were with us the last two studies, God told them, go to the promised land. They said, "Mm, let's send some spies first. Make sure everything is okay." They sent spies. They sent a leader from each of the tribes. The leaders went out. They came back. Ten of the spies said, you know what? It is a land that flows of milk and honey, but there are giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. Ain't no way we can do it. No, no, no. We're not going. Two guys, Joshua and Caleb, said, foolishness. These guys are our bread. Let's go. God's giving it to us. Let's go get it. The majority ruled they wouldn't go. Then when they were told with the alternative, God said, you know what? Since you guys wouldn't believe me, everybody 20 and up, you're going to die in the wilderness. Your kids, 19 and under, they're going to get a chance to go in. But you guys, because you rebelled and you wouldn't go, you're not going to get to go. And remember what they did? They said, okay, okay, we're going to go now. Right now we'll go. And God said, no, 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 it's too late. Right? If you go now, I won't be with you. You'll die. I'm not with you anymore. That's the result of their sins. And now they're sitting with the result of their sin. They're like, now they know. Think about if you're one of the part of the group 20 and older. You know you ain't going to the promised land. And you're back in the wilderness. And you know that we're, we're going to die here. You know, they're saying, they're saying, we need some new leadership. They're not saying, let's repent. They're not saying, you know, we really messed up. Let's, let's see if God will have mercy on us. They're saying, let's, let's out these leaders. It's their fault. And maybe there's some of that in us where we'll, we'll blame others for things that aren't going well, things that aren't going right. It's a really healthy thing as a human being to come to a place where you just be responsible for you. I recognize there are things that are out of my power that I don't control, but it's a really healthy thing when we come to a place where we realize I'm responsible before God for my choices, my decision. If I own that, I can grow and I can do better. If I always can blame somebody else, it's never my fault. That means I can't get better. That's always, you know, if you're counseling someone, the sign that you haven't begun yet is when somebody still has a reason for why they did what you did. So why did you do, why did you hit them? Well, because they were always talking to me crazy. So you still have a reason. You still feel justified in it. So we haven't even, we're not a step one yet, right? To get to step one, it's like because I got in the flesh. Okay, we're acknowledging fault. That's your fault. 
why you did the wrong thing. That's step one, now we can move forward from there. But when I talk to someone and they still got a reason, an excuse, which is a reason, you know, it's not really a, a real reason, but they still have a reason why. Long as you can tell me why you did it, a justifiable reason, I know you're not really, you can't repent yet. Thanks for joining Pastor Bill on a transforming word as he teaches through the book of Numbers. As you listen to today's message, we pray that it has not only inspired you in your faith journey, but challenged you in your relationships. The book of Numbers recounts the various struggles the people of Israel faced with those outside of their camp, but also within. Surely, there are difficulties you might be facing inside your family, your church, your work setting, and the nation as a whole. But God is still here, and He's proven time and time again that He's not leaving you or abandoning you. So when you're tempted to get down and out, chin up and remember that He is faithful. The messages you've been listening to are in Ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're ever in or near the Inglewood area, you're more than welcome to join us for church. We meet at Calvary Chapel Inglewood every Sunday and Wednesday. And you can get more information on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. You can also call or text us for more information. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that's 310-245-4811. If you're looking for more resources or ways to connect with us, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just look for the links on our website. Again, that's CalvaryInglewood.org. Well, that's all we have time for today. But Pastor Bill will have more to share from the Book of Numbers next time on A Transforming Word. <laughs>